0: Welcome to installment 314 of Sefer from the Rambam. Today's portion contains four commandments, all relating to the conduct of a Jewish court. Prohibition number 282 is that in a capital case, the court may not reach a decision of, of guilty based only on a majority of one prohibition number 283 is that one judge may not rely on the decision of another without himself coming to a conclusion regarding the case and then we have two commandments regarding various forms of capital punishment positive commandment 229 regulates the application of the execution by skila literally stoning and prohibition number 228 execution by Srefa or burning in positive commandment 175 from yesterday's year we learned that when there is a disagreement among judges we go after majority rule however we will see that in the case of capital punishment this is somewhat modified in general capital punishment can only be decided by a court of 23 members as existed in the temple times in every jewish city it could also of course be done by a larger court one of the 70 member courts However, at least a 23-member court was required. Let's say in, such, in uh, such a capital case, there would be a disagreement among the judges. Twelve saying that he deserves the death penalty and eleven saying that he doesn't. In such a case, if we merely went by majority rule, we would put the person to death. However, Prohibition number 282 comes to tell us that in a capital case we have an additional requirement. A simple majority is not enough. We must have a majority of two. And therefore, if twelve said guilty and eleven said innocent, this would not be enough to put the, the, of the defendant to death. In such a case, you would add another two judges and re-vote, and see whether there would be a two-person majority. This commandment is derived from the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 2, which states, <laughs> that you should not go after a majority to do bad. This would be the little, literal translation. But as the Rambam explains, do not go after Rabim, any majority, meaning even a majority of one, lorais, for an evil judgment to inflict of the death penalty. That just any majority, a majority of one, is insufficient in capital cases. As the Rambam brings out clearly from the Mechilta, which asks, how do we know if twelve say guilty and eleven say innocent? that he does not is not punishable by death and the michilta quotes this verse do not go after the uh, any majority in order to do bad to inflict the death penalty and uh, michilta also further explicates this din by stating if the the, the judgment is uh, by a, a split of one vote however the majority says he's innocent we will go by that judgment if 12 should say innocent and 11 guilty that is sufficient even in a capital case But if you want to declare the person guilty, then you would need a majority of two. From this we see the Torah's clear desire to avoid capital punishment unless absolutely necessary and beyond a shadow of a doubt, as the Talmud declares in the Tractate Makis that even if a court put to death more than once in seven years, then it would be called a damaging or destructive court. And one opinion, the opinion of Rabbi Loza ben Azariah, says once in seventy years. Rabbi and Rabbi and Rabbi Akiva declared that if they were as long as they would be sitting on a on a court, they would ensure that nobody would be put to death because of all the all the procedural obstructions put in the way of of declaring someone guilty in a capital case. They would ensure that it would never be done, never be inflicted. This desire is also reflected in prohibition number 283. This prohibition is a prohibition again on the judge, that a judge might be tempted upon seeing the other opinions in a case to subjugate his own opinion to the opinion of the other judges. However, the Torah requires that he must make his own independent investigation to himself Thoroughly investigate the law in the matter and reach his own conclusion using his own force of argument, and not to rely on any of the other judges who were ruling in this matter, either on the positive side or the negative side. This we learn from the same verse, which continues, al lintais. literally, you should not answer or express your opinion in a case of dispute, lintais to lean. As the Rambam explains that in a dispute, a dispute of a capital case, that is, a person should not lean taste, should not merely lean to follow another opinion rather than determine his own independent opinion, to be swayed by the majority or to be swayed by the great the great wisdom of the people that are holding by another view therefore, as the Mechilta declares a person should not say that this person is so great, I could rely on him why should I say a different opinion from him, I can rely on him and this would be a biblical prohibition that the judge is required to formulate his own opinion and stick to it The Mechilta then asks, perhaps the same thing applies to monetary cases, that one would be violating a biblical prohibition by relying on someone else's opinion. For this, the Mechilta adds that the verse continues, that one would not be violating a biblical prohibition by leaning after majority rule in a monetary case. Of course, there the judge should also formulate his own opinion, but it would not be a biblical violation. This desire to ensure a thorough and independent investigation by the judges of the case at hands results in this mitzvah including a number of other related laws. For example, at the beginning of the case, after the witnesses testify, we we start off the case, the judges start off their statement with a positive statement. We tell the defendant, if you haven't done anything, do not be afraid of the witnesses, that we will implying that they will investigate the case and eventually the truth will come out. So too, when the judges express their opinion, the law is that we must start with the lowest of the judges among the court. Let us say it is a 23-member court. All 23 are ranked and actually seated in order of their scholarship and age and so on. If we would start with the, with the head of the court, then the other judges would be intimidated by his opinion and be reluctant to contradict him. Therefore, we start with the lowest judge, and he first expresses his opinion so that the more advanced judges will not be so affected by his opinion. So, too, the law is that if someone, if someone previously expresses an opinion that the person should be executed he is allowed to change his opinion to say that he should that he should be innocent and let free however the other way around if he originally holds that the person is innocent he should not change his mind to say that he is that he is guilty and as the rambam explains in his legal code this is only when the judges are discussing the case among themselves that if he is has previously held that the defendant is innocent, he is not allowed to suddenly change in the middle of the arguments to find reasons why he is guilty. And the reason for this is in order to give him the benefit of the doubt and ensure that the innocent opinion, the favorable opinion, will come out into the open. Should he declare the guilty side and give up trying to, st- to probe into his innocence all of the positive factors, for the defendant will never come out in the open. Therefore, once he has started arguing in benefit of the defendant in his favor, he should not reverse. However, this is only when the judges are discussing the case. When it comes to the final vote, of course, he is required to vote according to his final formulated opinion. At the conclusion, even if originally he held innocence, should he have been convinced that the defendant is guilty, he is required to vote guilty, and the prohibition against changing his opinion is only in the process of argument to ensure that the truth comes out, but not in the final vote. Both of these commandments are discussed in the fourth chapter of the Talmudic Tractate Sanhedrin. How exactly the death penalty is inflicted is specifically indicated in Jewish law. There are four different types of death which are inflicted by the Jewish court, each of which the Rambam counts as a separate commandment, and this is a com- each one is a commandment on the Jewish court, that if the defendant has been found guilty of a certain crime, that if the The prescribed penalty is such such a type of death, they are required to execute it. And, And all four are counted as separate commandments. The Ramban, Nachmanides, however, counts it all as one. All of these different types are all details within the one general commandment for the Jewish court to inflict the death penalty where necessary. In today's portion, we will have two of these commandments, and tomorrow's we will have another two. Positive commandment 2.29 is for the Jewish court to inflict the penalty of skilah, of stoning where necessary. Although this form of death is referred to as skila, or stoning, the main part of the of the execution actually does not involve stones at all. As the Ram describes the process in his legal code, that there was a special building known as Beishas Skila, which was approximately two stories high, and the person to be executed would go to the top of this building and then be pushed off of it by one of the witnesses. Usually this fall itself would be enough to kill the defendant. Should the defendant not die after this, then the two witnesses pick up a large stone and drop this large stone, which is so heavy that only two of them together can lift it, and drop it on top of the person on the ground. And usually that would kill any of the remaining victims. However, if that should not suffice, then the rest of the people, the rest of the witnesses to the execution, themselves pick up stones and stone the person until they die. This commandment is derived from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse 24, which refers to the case of an adulterous relationship between a man and a woman who is betrothed to be married. And if they are discovered, the verse says, that they should be stoned with stones until they are dead. And from here we derive the idea and the definition of stoning for all of the different forms all the different prohibitions for which the penalty is execution by stoning. The Rambam refers us to the different prohibitions by each individual one. He indicates what the penalty is. And in his legal code, he totals them that there are 18 different violations which are punished by skilo or stoning. Positive commandment 228 is another form of execution, that of sreifo or burning. And here again, it is not like the simple meaning of the word burning. Rather, the person is buried up to their knees so that they cannot move. At that point, a cloth is put around their neck and pulled by the witnesses until the person opens their mouth then boiling hot lead, or another melted metal, is poured down the throat, killing the person instantly as it burns the inside of the person. This is why it's called srefa burning, not because the entire person is burned, but because as a result of this being poured down their throat, they would die from the burning effect of the metal. This commandment derives from the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 14, which refers to a man who has relations with a woman and her mother. And the verse says, that both him and whichever one the second one was, had relations with, both of them are burned. And as the Rambam again refers us to the prohibitions, where he lists each individual prohibition which is punished by burning. In his legal code, he totals them up to ten different sorts of violations which are punished by srefa both of these commandments are discussed in the seventh chapter of the Tractate Sanhedrin. The Talmud tells us that although these different forms of death cannot be inflicted unless there is the, the Sanhedrin in existence, nevertheless, God Himself still carries out these punishments. For example, a person who should be punished by stoning could fall off a roof and be killed just like the person is pushed off the base askila. A person subject to the penalty of burning could be burned in a fire or bitten by a snake and be burned by the, by the venom of the snake. Someone to be beheaded could be handed over to the king, to the non-Jewish government who could behead him. And someone who is subject to death by henek or choking could drown, similar to the effect of choking. However, as the Talmud indicates, all the forms of death penalty inflicted by the Torah are not penalties, punishments in and of themselves, but rather they indicate what the person has done to himself on a spiritual level, that they have cut themselves off in a spiritual way, and therefore this only makes the physical correspond to the the spiritual effect that they have brought upon themselves.